Hello, Earth people. Welcome back to the Foxworthy Podcast. This is another episode from this busy week of Foxworthy Podcasts. This is going to be our second Denis 2049 episode of the week. Uh, this week we are covering both 2013 Denis Villeneuve films. First, we covered Prisoners on Tuesday. Uh, today is Enemy, another movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal, this time playing two people. And I really highly recommend checking out this movie. It's only an hour and a half. You don't want to know anything going into it. Trust me. It's one of those movies that just will... uh, It'll leave you on the floor, whether that's good or bad. So go check it out. We have a spoilery conversation about it as we try to break it down and figure out what happened. Tomorrow we'll have a survivor podcast which will be our fourth and final podcast of the week so make sure you're up on everything monday we dropped our first survivor preview for the heroes tribe tuesday we dropped our prisoners episode today we're dropping uh enemy and tomorrow survivor 35 healers tribe thanks for listening uh please go on itunes rate and review at least subscribe um just hit that button. That's always nice. And uh, yeah, keep listening. Tell us what we can do better. Tell us what we can do worse. Enjoy this episode. Episode 70, I believe, of the Fox Party Podcast. Denis 2049. Enemy. Welcome to the Foxworthy Podcast. I am Taylor Gaines. We're back. One plus one equals one, Sam. It's Sam Hensel. (laughs) It always does. Yeah, I think we were taught wrong. I know. Because the only thing I've learned from this Villeneuve series is that one plus one always equals one. It's a valuable piece of information. It makes sense. So this is the the sixth movie in the Denis 2049 series. We watched... August 32nd, Maelstrom, Polytechnique, Incendies, Prisoners, and now 2013's Enemy, which was actually made before Prisoners, but came out after Prisoners. So this was Gyllenhaal and Villeneuve's original collaboration. I did not know that. The Gyllenhaal twins? The Gyllenhaal twins. They both got got both Gyllenhaals for this, both Jake Gyllenhaals for this movie. They didn't get, uh, is Gyllenhaal Donnie Darko too? No, he is Donnie Darko. And this oh, is well, his most Donnie Darko movie since Donnie I was going to say, this is... He's Donnie Darko, and now he's Adam Bell slash Anthony whatever. And it's another uh, mind-bender of a movie. <laughs> it's it is been, odd. It's been compared in some places that I saw to like David Lynch kind of surrealist stuff. One review on Film.com when it came out, I guess described it as having the scariest ending of any film ever made and there's lookalikes there's spiders there's weird sex clubs i mean this movie is only 90 it's minutes but it's want. got it all so it's got everything you could possibly want in a in a movie about giant spiders crawling over the city yeah so this is sort of a complicated movie it's one of the movies that when it ends you don't really know what you just watched so <laughs> we're going to get pretty spoiler heavy in our conversation. But before we talk about it, just tell me what your reaction was when this ended. For, for I'll just give the, the basic logline for this instance. But it's described as a movie about a guy who sees himself in a movie or someone who looks a lot like him and then tries to figure out what the deal with that is. Uh, so my, my uh, initial reaction to uh, finding out that his... Wait, wait, don't, don't, don't get into the spoilers yet. I'll, we'll cut to that in a second. Tell, just tell me like what your reaction was. <laughs> oh, to the movie the in general? <laughs> yeah, just like it ended and you're like, okay. I was, what was I, your first thought? I knew less about the movie when it ended than I did going into it. I was it's only a, more that, confused. Yeah. It's, it's that, yeah, it's that kind of movie, I think. Yeah, it only made less sense. 
it's one you feel like you're starting to figure out as it goes on and then it ends and you're like oh, so, oh never nope mind. just kidding didn't <laughs> take that back i actually don't know anything about anything and i will attest to the quote unquote scariest ending of any film ever made thing it, it is pretty terrifying ending it is it's shocking and dark quite dark and jarring i think it's dark actually i don't know maybe it's a maybe that's an maybe that's a classic villeneuve optimistic ending that i'm that i'm missing here i actually don't think surface, it is yeah for, for once <laughs> weirdly I, yeah let's let's just get into it now yeah. he, he did say i watched a bunch of videos about this uh i'll say before we get into it he mostly told the cast they weren't allowed to talk about spiders which is a big part of this movie and he talks about it in a vague way in some interviews but they, there are enough interviews that I think I can piece together with other theories on the internet, sort of what's going on. And it's interesting that this was made before Prisoners because I did see a couple interviews where he talked about just feeling like he was physically unable to make another movie until he finished this movie. Hmm. <laughs> and it's it's based on a book by a guy named Jose, Jose Saramago, I believe. Yeah. A book a book called The Double. I don't really know anything about the book. And what's interesting, actually, I did see a production video where they had written up a bunch of questions to send to the author of the book. And the day that they sent them to him, one of the producers saw in a newspaper that he died. So Holy crap. they decided, <laughs> oh, well, we're just going to make our own interpretation then and we'll figure <laughs> it out on our own. And... For what it's worth, spiders not in the book apparently. Spiderless. Spiderless book. But oh man, I as much as I want to talk about the spiders, I think that's actually not where to start. I think we have to start with the basics before we can get into the spiders. <laughs> so Which is not a basic part of this movie. I I'm going to run through the plot and I want you to just sort of interject as you fancy, I guess. And then we'll sort of sure. break it down and try to figure out what we think is going on here. So Enemy opens. It opens, it shows some buildings. It shows Hall sitting in his car and his mom on his voicemail telling him she's worried about him living in his crappy apartment. Then it shows a shot of a naked pregnant lady on a bed. And then some words come on the screen that say, Chaos is order yet undeciphered. Which, which is from the book. Which, yes, is from the book. And is also a pretty big hint that the movie is going to be confusing. And the first time you watch Chaos. it, you might not know what happened. <laughs> yeah. After that, it goes right to, I almost said Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jake Gyllenhaal. How dare you. <laughs> it's because I write JG in my notes. And for some reason, I saw that and thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He, I will say, they do make him look more like Jim from The Office than I've ever seen him look in this movie. The, yeah, he's got that long, flippy hair. He's got the beard. Sometimes he wears a shirt with a tie. I get kind of, I get, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so it opens with him going into a weird, like, sex room where he has a special key, and they basically watch women do stuff. <laughs> and yeah. then a spider is brought out on a platter, and a woman's foot is showing, is shown descending down on the spider like it's going to crush it and then we cut to our first classic denis villeneuve lecture scene of the movie classic yeah which in retrospect obviously tells us way more than it should and it's history teacher jake gyllenhaal talking about dictatorships and control and uh the way that totalitarian regimes control their people and this is a pattern that repeats itself throughout history. He, he talks about a couple of ways they do it, like the carrot and the stick, basically. Like They do it by trying to bribe you, and they do it by trying to be nice or good to you or whatever, and then after that they get more totalitarian, I guess. Right. And then there's a quote about the, the first time something happens in history, it's a tragedy, and the second time it's a farce, which I think is a relevant quote later on. But then... There's kind of a cycle of watching him just do his lecture. It seems to be the same lecture every time that they show it for some reason. Uh, get on the bus and go home. Have sex with his girlfriend. And then for some reason he has a conversation with a guy at the school who's like 
do you like movies? And he's like, ah, I don't like movies. I don't really go out. And then he tells him he should watch this movie. He watches it after going to a symbolically overwhelming video store. And then goes to sleep, has a dream about seeing himself in the movie, goes back, watches the movie, sees himself, and starts freaking out, basically. So then the next whole sequence of the movie is him trying to get this guy, this actor, to meet up with him. And he calls his wife, and his wife thinks it's him, because as it turns out, they look the same, they have the same scar, they have the same voice. They have the exact same facial hair. Which yeah. is like, this is not a separated at birth type thing. This is a somebody carbon copied this guy. Like, They're the differences the are literally, like, the actor, Jake, wears tighter clothes and, like, stands a little straighter. Yeah, and combs and, his hair. And combs his hair and doesn't put his hand through his hair like the other one does all the time. Right. And he has a wedding ring, the actor, Jake, too. Oh, man. And then they eventually meet at a hotel, which, by the way, was filmed mostly using little tennis ball props, apparently. Like, they had to match up the tennis ball with eye level and have Hall act against it. And there were some great Hall stories that I heard where he would add in lines that weren't in the script. And then when he went back to playing the other guy, he would improvise based off the lines that he added in before. So, like, he was literally improvising with himself. (laughs) (laughs) That's Gyllenhaal. He's the best for that. He really does seem like a genius. Like, right. I, he, he, there's a lot of talk in some of his interviews about the way that he differentiated the two characters why, while also trying to keep them pretty much the same. Hmm. And there's some cool videos where you can see him talking to, Jill, or to uh, Villeneuve and saying, like, as an actor, I need you to tell me how we got here so that I can figure out what to do. And it's just like, it seems like a really collaborative effort between them and... Hmm. I did see a couple interviews with Villeneuve where he actually, despite what we talked about during our Prisoners podcast, said that this was the first movie where he really let other people in to work with him, which I actually, I guess that makes sense since he did end up making Prisoners after this. After, yeah. But he, he said this was the first movie where he acted less like a dictator, I guess, which was smart for the content of the movie. <laughs> right. And let other people sort of be just as much a part of it and Hall described him he was like people have a misconception about auteurs they think that they just do everything and have this grand vision but what makes them brilliant is the way that they allow everyone to be artists themselves and based off interviews i saw with production designers and the cinematographer and Hall, it really sounds like they had a hell of a balance going with this movie and they have some joint interviews where they seem like they really enjoy each other's company too so all three you can of them. definitely feel the, the love going into this one, I guess. Well, it's a lovely movie. Also, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but there's a pretty valuable part where he picks, he steals, he steals the actor's mail from his studio. Oh, right. Yeah. Because that, that comes into play a, bit, a little bit later. It's like a secret pass- or package that he, he chooses not to open. for. It's another letter, just like in Cindy's, that will not be opened until the end of the movie. Right. Yes, because the role of the notary is sacred and you cannot open <laughs> other people's mail it sends a really good message about not opening people's mail that isn't yours so we'll get back into some of the specifics but basically they go to meet each other actor jake's girlfriend is like oh are you cheating on me again and he's like what are you talking about it's just some fan and she googles the history teacher and goes and meets with him and has a reaction that is very strong like she she's just shook by seeing this other guy yes understandably yeah just like her her husband um the music is really dramatic in this movie i had a lot of notes about this was the first villeneuve movie where it felt like the music was like really over the top just kind of Mm -hmm. making you feel really anxious the whole time yes and eventually what happens is actor jake for one reason or another decides that he wants to get rid of this other guy and by doing that he also wants to sleep with his girlfriend And he tells him, listen, you let me go on a date with your girlfriend because she won't know because we look the same. And then I'll be out of your life forever. And he's like, all right, cool. Yeah, Professor Jake is way too okay with the idea. He's not (laughs) like, no, why don't you just regular go away or I'll tell your wife that you're trying to cheat on her. Like, you know, he has no pushback, which is actually interesting. Kind of is interesting to think think back on. 
Because he was, yeah, Professor yeah. Jake was like way too okay with that. So basically, then what happens is, I think after he allows him to do that, he thinks that was a bad idea. I'm gonna go get some revenge. So he goes to actor Jake's apartment and pretends that he's actor Jake. So now you have two guys who look exactly the same, pretending they're each other, played by the same actor, and more or less what happens is actor Jake gets found out by history teacher Jake's girlfriend because she can see that he normally wears a wedding ring I guess then he's driving her home and gets angry because she tells him he's not a man and then he starts like trying to push her out of the car or something and they get in a huge car accident and I presume they both die yes and then history teacher Jake has like an intense series of scenes with the wife who uh the wife of actor Jake who is very pregnant yeah, six months pregnant, played by Sarah Gaydon. And I got to say, they could not have found a better, like, long, contemplative, staring person for, yeah. for this movie. Like, her she eyes got quite are the just stare. like... Yeah. So they have this weird interaction where he's, like, pretending to be your husband. We'll get back more into this, and I skipped over a few of these things that happened through the movie, but she says, oh, how was school today? And he, like, fr- almost freaks out because he's, like... Does she know I'm faking it? I, I personally think there's a different explanation, but she eventually, he, he has like a bad dream, I guess, that's also intercut with that car crash happening and is crying and she comes out and tells him she wants him to stay and then they make love or whatever. And then you get to the ending and I've skipped over some spider Next stuff. Day. Other there's the spider crushing thing at the beginning that I mentioned, but there's also a giant spider that goes over the city at one point. The car window after the car crash looks like a spider web, basically. Uh, right. There's some bus wires or like tram wires throughout the city that kind of look like a big spider web. There's a lot of spider stuff going on. All that being said, he wakes up. She's taking a shower in what appears to be the most weirdly placed shower in any house I've ever seen. Because it looks like it's just a straight shot like from in the, the kitchen to the shower. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to watch the oven and make sure that your your food isn't on fire while you're showering, <laughs> pretty practical. So she says, hey, your mom called. You should call her back or something. And he's getting dressed, putting on a suit, and this envelope comes back out. So he opens it. It's got a key in it. And it resembles the key to get into that weird sex club from the beginning. He briefly looks around, kind of like he's thinking about whether he should check it out because, you know, history teacher Jake doesn't know what it is, right? And then he is like, hey, Helen, I think I got to go out tonight. Are you doing anything? She doesn't answer. And he's like, Helen, honey, or whatever he says. (laughs) And then, oh, my God, how do you even? Okay. So then there's a tracking shot. He walks around the corner into their bedroom and a giant spider tarantula spider yes blows up like a balloon in the corner of the bedroom with its eye just like looking at him like kind of cowering in the corner of the bedroom then while you're yourself and you're watching it it cuts to gyllenhaal and he's just kind of like huh (laughs) yeah and then he kind of just looks at it like moves he like moves a little bit and then just kind of looks very accepting of it and then the movie ends (laughs) he's not nearly as frightened as most people would be or shocked or surprised or anything very medium reaction to a giant spider being in a room i just had no idea what to make of this at all like it ends, and I'm just like, whoa, my God. Yep. What was yep. that? It's one of those It's yeah. one of those movies. I hope I described it adequately enough, but if, 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 you're, yeah. if, if you you're haven't confused, seen it, you really fine. should see it. Yeah, it's a good movie. That's the thing. Like, I finished it, didn't understand anything about anything. I was confused, a little bit scared, and concerned. But I just, like, I was like, I don't understand any of this, but I think it's good. Like, I liked it. It was a good movie. But yeah, we had to. I had to search the the bowels of the internet to find any sort of explanation, understanding, reasoning for 
the spiders for the multiple Jakes. There are a lot of theories, and this is definitely a movie that's meant to be open for interpretation, I think. Right. But based off what you're just talking about with researching and reading stuff on the internet, uh, there seems to be one explanation that makes the most sense to me, which I want to talk about a little bit because it brings a lot of the rest of the movie into focus a little bit better. Now, (laughs) the biggest thing to understand for the explanation to make sense is that Hall is actually only playing one person the whole time. Now, whether the whole movie takes place literally or like in his subconscious or he just has like schizophrenia or something is up for debate, I think. But there are a few reasons. There are a lot of reasons I think this, but one of them includes things that Villeneuve has said in interviews. And although he pretty much tries not to explain what's going on, he has used a bunch of lines several times. One line he uses a lot is this is a documentary about my subconscious and then he jokes and he's like well actually it's a documentary about jake's subconscious (laughs) and he also describes it as a man who has to learn the truth about himself and there's even one where he explicitly says it's about a man who decides to leave his mistress to go back to his pregnant wife so there's a lot of hints that it's just one person and there's a lot of subtle ways that people talk about it in making of videos that make it sound like it is one person. (laughs) The gist of it being one person, I think, boils down to actor Jake getting his wife pregnant and then realizing what he's committed to and sort of having a philandering, cheating nature and not wanting to accept that and not knowing what to do with that. Right, would be the presupposed thing going into this movie because it's almost like that is like that all that that thing happens before the movie and then the movie itself is after he's realized what a flander he is is rediscovering is like coming back from that a little bit like what, what was it that Villeneuve said it's like a, it's a man coming back from his a man who decides to leave his mistress to go back to his wife right so I would think that the he once he like his wife is pregnant so he decides to cheat because he's already cheated going into this movie as far as like the like as far if we're to assume if we're to assume this is just a normal linear story which maybe we're not we could talk about that too <laughs> would be that he the actor has already cheated on his wife whether he's well, two she people does or say one people early in the movie she says oh is it uh, is it a girl again that you're talking yeah, to or whatever yeah again so yeah so he's already cheated he's already she's already pregnant which presupposed that he's realized he's missing out on his flandering by being with the pregnant woman so he's gone back to flandering and the movie itself is kind of him leaving that philandering to rejoin his wife. Maybe it is an optimistic movie. Maybe it's a lighter movie about a, about redemption. About yeah, a man but then there's the, the ending. Center. Well, we'll get back to the ending. But yeah. basically, I think there's a lot of clues. Like, his wife is like, oh, I got the blueberries you wanted or whatever. Like, actor Jake really likes blueberries. But history teacher Jake is like, mom, I don't like blueberries. Right. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. there's that whole scene where his mom is like, I know you have a hard enough time staying with one woman and she also tells him you should give up your career of being a third-rate actor or whatever. So there's a lot of things like that. And then there's the the scar that they both have, which is kind of inexplicable. And there's a lot of reasons to think that they are the same person. And obviously Mm -hmm. there's one that we were talking about after you watched it. Like he very obviously walks behind a wall when actor Jake's wife is calling to see if history teacher Jake will answer the phone, you know, which is kind of on the nose, I guess. What is Villeneuve if not on the nose usually? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although, and uh, on the nose is not a, mo- a word, uh, not a phrase I'd use to describe this movie. <laughs> Fair. But once you start to like decipher it, it, it does seem more obvious, I guess. Yeah. I mean, some other things that are interesting that I found. The I mentioned the spiders hidden throughout the movie. And I mentioned the heavily symbolic video store that he goes to. So there's a poster for Vertigo. Have you seen Vertigo? I have not, no. Am I going to spoil Vertigo for you? Probably, yeah. So Vertigo (laughs) has a similar thing. There's two characters. And at the end, it turns out that they're actually just one character. I guess that's sort of vague enough. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think that's what's happening in Enemy, even though they don't make it that obvious. As I was joking at the beginning of the podcast, too, Villeneuve also jokes about one plus one equaling one, which is a huge part of Incendies. Yes. Um, and the song that's playing when he goes into the video store is a song called The Cheater, which seems pretty Perfect. on the nose when you actually yep. know that. Some other stuff, like the production designer had some interesting things to say about the way that they designed the set. Like, he made history teacher Jake's apartment, like, big and wide so that it could show the distance between him and his girlfriend or whatever. Actor Jake's apartment is supposed to feel more oppressive, kind of. Like, he feels more trapped. And even, like, something, like, he pointed out that the baby's room that's sort of shown in the corner of the apartment has a pull-up bar on the top top of the door frame. Hmm. And somewhere else in the apartment, there's like a a, tr- uh, a treadmill that appears to be out of place. So the th- like even with that, there's like a little theory of like, oh, his workout room is being taken away from him to become the baby's room. Right. You know, which is like a like a nice subtle little. Uh, oh yeah, he is actually having his life infringed upon by this commitment to this family that he's not prepared for, and. Yeah. When history teacher Jake goes to visit the talent agency, the security guard's like, oh, it's been like six months since you were here, leading you to believe he had to give up his creative pursuits when he found out his wife was pregnant and had to go make money being a history teacher and had to give up the part of himself that was more interesting. So now he goes to like underground sex clubs to like try to be himself or whatever. Like there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Yeah, and it all le- and it all lends to this idea that he's he's the just the one person so then you gotta think about the things that make it that kind of that that question that almost like the the arguments against that like why the, the kind of the big reveal that he isn't who he says he is with melanie lorenz character the the mistress or whatever is that she notices the that he has a wedding ring imprint on his finger but if they've been having sex for the entire movie why is she just not noticing that for the first time yeah i think that's if tricky i think you could make an argument that he imagines that affair in some way if if you can uh just because of the way that it kind of happens like it's intercut with him waking up in bed like afraid as the car accident's happening and stuff and i don't know i think my theory is something along the lines of the car crash happened well before the events of the movie and he's like remembering it in a different way because that would explain the scar sort of like, oh, maybe the scar came from this car crash that happened well before. And the other thing for me that I think is the biggest reason, other than the loaded dialogue that the mom has, that he's just one person, is the behavior of actor Jake's wife, Sarah Gaydon, when she goes to visit history teacher Jake. Like... <laughs> When she sees him and he doesn't say hi to her like he knows her, like her reaction is like stunned. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of staring at him. And like she goes home and she's like, like I was saying before, like she's shook. Like she's just like crying and she's like, what's going on? And, and he's like, I don't know. And she's like, I think you do know. Cause like it makes way more sense for someone's reaction to be that extreme when they're realizing their husband has no idea who he is. Right. More so than that's their reaction to seeing that someone looks exactly like their husband. But it would be the same reaction either way. Because if she, like, she may believe that it's the same person. Whether whether he is actually, in reality, the same person or a different person, either way, she would have that reaction because they they would look the exact same. Because if we, if, like, for a second, if we think that he's two people doesn't mean that she has to believe that they're two people. She could, I mean, her husband's a liar and, like, a flander. Like, she might she might see that someone looks exactly like her husband and, le- and legitimately believe that it is her husband. Right. So that could, that fits within the theory that there are still two, two Jakes. It makes more sense to me, though, given some of the other clues, that she's realizing that he's having, like, a psychotic break, which is making her have this crazy reaction. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does. It, 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 like, I think that they're, they are one person, I think. 
I don't know. It definitely does. It, it makes sense, but I'm just saying it fits. It would fit within the two-person model, if you will, the two-quarterback system. Uh, for her <laughs> I don't to, totally to understand the two-person argument, though, just in the context of, like, the cheating and the and the sex clubs and the spider symbolism and stuff. So, so, so yeah, like, right. so let's get back into that, because it does seem for a moment like it ends on, like, a classic Villeneuve optimistic note if you take in all of that theorizing to account, like... He comes home, he kills off actor Jake, whether literally or figuratively, in like this car accident. Right. And which is interesting like, because Stay. they're talking about the accident on the radio. Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's what's it weird. It could be I don't vague. Know. It could be vague. It could be just like a normal like. It was pretty vague. Like it, it was just like there was a car accident last night, and then he yeah. turns the radio off. Right. It's something like yeah. that. And you see, like in the shot immediately before it, the shot of the city, you see the cars the cop cars under the bridge with their lights on which oh, it looks like yeah and it kind of looks like where it would have happened i mean so it could Gosh. it's interesting so i don't know that's like it's, that's one of those intentionally ambiguous things i guess yeah. i mean if you think of it that way that like you know everything's solved he's not going to cheat anymore he's committed to his family he's going to be history teacher jake now it seems like one of those villeneuve happy endings but then that letter comes back into play where he opens it sees the key to the sex club and if you assume that it is one jake then his reaction is basically actor jake coming back out because he looks at it right. and he's like oh i you know what i know i felt good about committing last night but i want to go again okay i got <laughs> something for you here here's something i'm just not thinking about let's say they're one person they're one jake but chronologically this is a theory I'm having as I'm speaking. Chronologically, what if the very last scene of the movie is him, or chronologically, yeah, the last thing that happens is him getting in the car accident with Melanie Laurent or whatever, the mistress. And what if, bear with me for a second here, that very last scene is a cut to chronologically before the movie starts. So, like, it could, you could, it could theoretically be um, he gets this call from his mother who... This call, it would have been the first call of the movie, so he's like, later he calls her back and meets with her. And then he gets the key to the club, and it's the first time he goes to the club. It's before the first time he goes to the club. And that's when he turns into this, and that would be him realizing, no, no, because she's too pregnant, I guess. But it, it could be her, him realizing, oh my gosh, I'm being oppressed by this woman, I'm going to go to the sex club. And then the movie starts, kind of. You know what I'm saying? The other thing too is this: the the guy who works at his apartment who went to the sex club with him and wants him to bring him again. Right, but that would have been before this scene. I like where you're going. I think maybe he's been to the sex club once, but he's never cheated on his wife before. And maybe him deciding to go again would send him on that spiral to eventually cheating and dying in a car accident i guess because if you want to go along with this just thinking as we're going here sure how about at the beginning of the movie you have that shot of his pregnant wife sitting on the bed alone looking at the camera because then in that case it's like he led himself down a road that not only left him abandoning his family frequently to like go cheat on his wife it forced them to actually be alone by him dying how about that it could fit and so there's like a non-linear if it's like a non-linear thing where <laughs> almost like the her sitting on the bed in the beginning is the very last thing that happens like she's just alone in the end that's and good. then the very uh, last all, thing that happens is actually the beginning all that being said though there is that last moment that at least seems to hint at the fact that his wife is aware what's going on which i think is what we're meant to take of the spider thing yeah because it blows up as he turns the corner in a terrifying moment of cinema Uh and cowers in the corner like it looks afraid which i think is really important yes um because she i think realizes at least that he's going to cheat again because she does say again you know and that Mm. could be a red herring as far as whether she's referring to melanie loren like you're saying that could happen later i think she knows when he's like i'm going out tonight that she's lost him again and that makes her afraid 
And since he views women as spiders that are trying to trap him in his web, or in their web, that's why his reaction is like, oh, I'm going to squash this spider, right? I don't know. Is it? That's the thing. That's The reactions there at the end are the most interesting things. Like, he's almost like... The, the Denis optimistic view here, the tri- if I were to look at this with Denis previous movie colored glasses, it would be that she blew up into a spider and essentially revealed herself to be what she actually is, which is like someone trying to trap him in this web, but she is scared and frightened. And his reaction is basically, I'm cool with that. Like, I now see what <laughs> you are, and you're a big, horrifying, terrifying spider who's also scared of me for whatever reason. And that's fine maybe maybe that's like the optimistic side of that is i'm back i'm not gonna cheat i see that you're a i see that you're a spider i take it back i'm not gonna go out in that club anymore (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) and that's the end of again like there's so much to this movie like we haven't even talked about the fact that the title of the movie is enemy yeah like what do you even begin to make of that like Obviously, based off where I'm going with this interpretation, my guess is like, oh, he's his own worst enemy. and that's Everyone's the enemy in this, yeah. I think but, it's kind of like how prisoners, each character is a prisoner. In this movie, each character is an enemy to Gyllenhaal in some way. Himself, his spider wife, his mother, who's essentially, like you were saying earlier, is essentially the, the spider crawling over the city. What a shot that was. That was awesome. I loved that. Yeah, this was definitely Villeneuve had a quote. I mean, you, you could argue like about this being too much of a puzzle box or being really pretentious or whatever, because typically that's the feeling I have when I finish a movie like The Lobster or something, and I'm like, I really enjoy that, but I have no idea what I just watched. Therefore, it must be very pretentious. Yes, um, <laughs> if it's smarter than me, it's pretentious. But it's funny though. He had a pretty self-aware quote. He said, "When you create a film." You have to be arrogant because you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before, which is stupid because everything has been done, but you have to believe it. That's interesting. I like that. It's kind of like how you want you want your quarterback to be a hothead, kind of. Like right. A little bit arrogant, a little bit cocky. Like you have to believe that you really do have a very original idea that no one else has ever done. I can tell you one thing. I have never seen anything like this. I mean, yeah, it definitely has aspects of other things. Like it has the... It's not a, it's not very obvious, but it still has that trickeration of uh, you thought two people were two people, but it really is just one person from Fight Club and Incendies and Vertigo. Apparently, even though I haven't seen it, um, <laughs> it has its sort of has its typical yellow coloring and everything like that. And it's got that Donnie Darko weird whatever, but it is ex- extremely original. So it is so strange. Yeah, and we talked about the on the nose lecture too, <laughs> which. I hope Sicario has one of those because I know Arrival does. But we get another one of those. And Villeneuve talked about some of the themes in this movie being defiance against rule and dictatorships as well as fear of commitment, uh, which I think plays into the theory we talked about also with all the dictator talk. But but it is interesting to me. I felt like in the context of the conversation we the conversation we just had about prisoners, we spent a lot of time talking about theme and morality and everything where – for me, when I got to the end of trying to make some sense of this movie, I was kind of left with, oh, well, it's just like a guy who can't stop cheating on his wife. It, it's not, it doesn't seem, I'm, I mean, there's obviously different interpretations, but it doesn't seem as interesting thematically and like just on different layers with this one to me. Yeah, I mean, this one isn't as layered, but. That being said, in the context of other Villeneuve movies, I don't know where to put this. <laughs> like, I don't right, know how this fits in. Because this one is his most bizarre, his most his least grounded movie. I think I haven't seen Maelstrom, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen Maelstrom the way that is intended to be viewed. I'm sure, but um, on an airplane. On an airplane, yeah. Um, but it's his most his most his like his most up to interpretation movie. I mean, it's also his his bleakest too. It seems. Like, even Polytechnique, which is, to its core, extremely dark and terrible and horrible, but still has characters with, like, redemption and hope and future and all that stuff. This movie seems like, unless we take the the Denis rose-colored glasses that I would like to take to this movie, is pretty through and through a dark, chilling movie. I mean, that one uh, reviewer said that that was the scariest ending of any movie 
ever, basically. So yeah, and I I I referred to David Lynch before. I think it has that effect the first time you watch it, where uh, a lot of this Twin Peaks return season has been terrifying, and I'm like not sure why. You know, like yeah. you can sort of follow what's happening, but there's something about the sound design and the mm-hmm. establishing and shots the and performances the, yeah. that are yeah, and the shots that, that are just like they make you feel viscerally like afraid. And right. there's something about that last moment with the spider that even when you don't totally understand what's happening, it's easy enough to follow the language of the film that you're like scared. Yeah. Yes. It makes you feel, it intentionally makes you feel a certain way the entire movie and it succeeds. I mean, the whole movie is in black and yellow. Like oh, it's almost yeah. a black and white film. It's just black and tan and this like, disgusting like almost this off-white like a tainted white to it that is mixed i'm not an expert but that almost makes me think like of being trapped in a spider's web sort of like there's that gross goo all around you yeah yeah like when uh when frodo gets wrapped up in the in the spider web his face like is very pale but it has like a yellowy tint it is kind of spidery this color yeah yeah so i don't know what to do with this I, i don't know like We've been joking about like, oh, this is the best movie. Like, this is the worst. Like, I don't know even where I would, <laughs> how I would begin I to put this in some kind of ranking. I feel like it's like, you have Prisoners, Polytechnique, Incendies, August thirty second, and Maelstrom on like the left side of the paper, and then you just have yeah. Enemy, 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 Enemy on the other side. Here's a question I have that I think might help a little bit. Is this movie ambitious? Because there's two ways to look at it. Where like. He has this really weird, dark idea, and it's a very ambitious thing to try and show that visually with the spiders and the multiple jakes and the A-linear storytelling, where I could see it as an ambitious thing to, to try to, to attempt. The other side of that could be, it's not ambitious at all because no one's going to understand it. You could just kind of like, oh, it's art. You don't understand almost like that fallback of, the fallback of confusion kind of. Like if you if you're confused, you can't say that's bad. Is it ambitious right. or is it it's is like it a safe thing to do? It's less puzzly, I think, than Inception. Gosh, I. It's, it's so Prisoners is ambitious in a way, that feels grand and, thoughtful and contemplative of humanity and everything. This feels ambitious to me in a way, that has more to do with, technical, achievement. Like, can we actually trick the audience, basically, into thinking one thing is happening while a different thing is happening? It depends how you define ambition, I guess. But in in the typical way that I talk about ambitious movies, like, this isn't quote-unquote ambitious because I always think of it more as, like, a director, like, really leaving their heart out there and, like, trying things that you know, might not work, but you're like, wow, that's, that was like a cool thing to try. We're like, so you this... don't think that that's what happened here? I don't know. I, it's just hard to compare. Cause like this, this works for me and it does feel like a big swing, but it's, it's just like, it's more focused, I guess. It's like a small scale right. kind of like, it's one actor the whole time mm-hmm. and you're just kind of hanging with him doing these different things and i don't know i guess it's really a question of how i would define ambition I well that's my question to... yeah so like i i think that it is fairly ambitious to say we're gonna take a camera we're gonna take three colors one actor and some really good special effects fighters and make a movie with a trope that's been done several times before it's a bait Jack and switch Hyde, but, basically yeah and it's a bait and switch of Two people are really one person. One plus one equals one, which he literally just did two years ago, <laughs> like in 2011. So to me, that's like it's like an ambitious at like a, am I are people gonna be able to sit through this movie, kind of way? Because yeah, they did not think, they did not try and flash, very much. I think yeah. the difficulty I'm having parsing it is that ambition really does have different meanings in different contexts right. because I think ambition can mean you know, sort of trying to be flashy and over the top and still pulling it off or or thinking you can. Or ambition can be 
being really pretentious and confusing and just seeing if people will stick with you. And I think that so, both of those, if you flip them, can be the opposite of ambition. Like a Michael Bay movie is flashing over the top, but it's not ambitious. It gets a lot done, but it's the safe thing to do because he knows it's going to work. And then on the other hand, there's the art because he's not formula. trying to say anything. So it's only ambition within the context of saying something or just making a movie. Because like I think that there's like a there's the opposite of that would be the art house version, where the safe thing to do is just to throw a bunch of random crap at us and say that it's like deep and pointed and is thoughtful and stuff. And then we'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, if that's what you think, like, you're an artist. Like, I mean, go to a museum of art if it's like, you know, it's like, hmm. and so I, I think that both of those could fit within that sort of context of, of being an ambitious movie. So I think my question is, like, what's the safe version of this movie? Like, he adds a couple characters, he adds a couple of wrinkles, he takes out the spiders. And... Yeah, I, in that case, I think then, I mean, yes, I, I think this is pretty ambitious in that context like because you think about the spiders not being in the book like the decision to put the spiders in is like so ballsy yeah and to end on the spider thing is such a crazy as like the big punchline of the movie is the the part that wasn't even in the book i think maybe you saying it that way does help me clarify a little bit like if this movie didn't have spiders and was a bunch of you know like all these very specific things that we've talked about that are like very intentionally peppered throughout the movie i really feel like the surrealism of it is what makes it different and so as far as like in the context of ranking these movies i mean we'll release the official dillanuve power rankings at the end of our next uh fireside chats but to me it's I mean, it's not as like it's not as impressive or satisfying as Prisoners. Like I would put it, I would put it, it but it, but, it, but it breaks ground in a way. It does something new. It, it succeeds in that way. And so I think and I would it's, put it. Its satisfaction comes much later too. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that's the thing. I like think about this movie and will be thinking about this movie more than just about every other movie he's made, except maybe Prisoners. And that's the thing because I I do still think about Prisoners all the time i still go back and watch it so i'll probably put prisoners higher than this i almost feel like i don't know if this makes any sense based off what you're talking about but i almost feel like prisoners is for me and enemy is for everyone where like when i watch prisoners i kind of feel like i can watch it again and get more out of it every time but when i watch a movie like this i'm like oh man i need to show this to someone else so i can talk Mm. to someone else about this (laughs) <laughs> like right. i don't know if that makes any sense but yeah there, there's uh, almost it's almost like a there's sort of a disconnect it's like a it's not a very it's not as much of a empathetic movie in this right. way it's more like a puzzle it's more like a donnie darko where you're like i want to talk about this i want to read about this i want to show this to people i want to figure this out kind of um and then i'll get to the, the humanity of it prisoners I, takes humanity and shoves it in your face and then sprinkles in some puzzles yeah do you, you remember you me and benny watched donnie darko and tried to figure out what was going on for like two right. and a half hours yeah. <laughs> still working on it uh, i don't really know something about that an airplane. one's way more confusing than this i still don't understand that yeah there's too much science involved wormholes and time travel time and travel yeah. and rabbits and stuff like that anything else on enemy for now i mean like you said we could talk about this forever and revisit this but I think that pretty much covered... I, I did think it was funny just to emphasize the point about Hall and Villeneuve seeming to really enjoy working together. They had a joint interview I was watching where uh, Hall was like, oh, you know, I had to sort of play this narcissistic actor and also play this, like, kind of nerdy history teacher, like a little softer guy, and... Villeneuve was like, oh, well, I bet I bet I know which one of those was easier for you. <laughs> and Hall's like, the narcissistic <laughs> actor comes really naturally to me. <laughs> wow, they're like, friends. He, like he even said that other. he took clothes from his own wardrobe to, to, to use during those shoots. Man. As far as our Denis 2049 podcast, though, we're getting right down to it now. We only have two left. Yeah. Sicario and Arrival. Yeah, that's it. We might have one more bonus episode mixed in there too hopefully but that's it for villanueve and then it's blade runner 2049 time can't wait
I'm gonna enjoy that movie so much more now after having gone through this this journey. <laughs> I'm gonna be so mad if it sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be like watching all the Bourne movies so you can watch Jason Bourne and then realizing you've wasted your time building up to it. Yes. Ugh. I feel like this uh, is the thing I'm though. concerned about. I don't know if we should have been peppering in conversations like this throughout this series, but I'm concerned that Jared Leto is a terrible actor. I am not a Jared Leto guy. I gotta say. He had one stint on Dallas Buyers Club where he was cool. And then you have the Joker. You have his... I guess he was okay in uh, Requiem for a Dream. But I don't like the way he, he looks and acts in this movie. I think Jared Leto thinks he's a lot cooler than he actually is. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm concerned about that because Villeneuve has talked too about not wanting to work with like narcissistic people. Yes. And I'm not convinced that he's either not, yeah. like telling the truth or I don't know. There's a lot of confusing things that go into what's happening with Blade Runner here. And why him and Gyllenhaal aren't friends anymore? Like why is Gosling there? I, I don't know. This this is going to be an interesting ex- experiment, I think. Yeah. Wait. Man, Joan Hall as as Ryan Gosling and Blade Runner. That would have been that would have been something. I will Dang. say the most exciting thing about Blade Runner twenty forty nine to me is that Mackenzie Davis from Halt and Catch Fire is in it. That's a great that's a great addition. Which is coming back or is yeah. back. Oh my god, that's right. I haven't watched a single episode of the, of yeah. the current season. Oh man. Out. TV yeah. is a whole other conversation. Yep. Too much. All right, well, that's Enemy, and we are now out of the year 2013. So Good year. Go watch Sicario. It is available all over the place because it is a fairly recent movie. It might actually be a free Amazon Prime movie, if I remember correctly. Um, Looks like it. And you can get it on the usual places, YouTube, iTunes, and everything. And it's only two hours even, it looks like. So go check that out. I'm sure this... Oh, two hours, one minute. I apologize. You got... John Bernthal, Josh Brolin, Benicio Del Toro, and Emily Blunt is always a badass, so I'm sure that she'll be pretty awesome. And that's it for this one. Come back next time, people. And giant spider in the room. <laughs> oh, God. My that's reaction is not the same. <laughs> <laughs>